Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Revelation, chapter 4. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Here in Revelation, keep in mind, several weeks ago I told you that the book of Revelation, it was actually several months ago, I told you that the book of Revelation is an open book. The name Revelation means revealing, not concealing. It means revealing. Revealing of what? Revealing of the person of Jesus Christ, the unveiling or the uncovering or the presentation of Jesus Christ. That's what revelation means. Now let's keep in mind that John didn't write these guys, these Christians, so that they could discuss the nuances of the mark of the beast or to enlighten them in prophecy. Many people approach the book of Revelation with the heart, with the idea, with the understanding that when they finish, they're going to understand more about prophecy. That's not the right approach to begin your study in the book of Revelation. John did not write these Christians to enlighten them in the area of prophecy. John is writing that the reader might encounter Jesus personally. It's the unveiling, not of the Antichrist, not of the mark of the beast, not of the nuances of end-time prophecy. It's the unveiling of one person, and his name is Jesus. And that is why John is writing this letter. This book is written for prophetic information, not for prophetic information, but for personal revelation. Now, as we move into this third section of the book, we need to keep that in mind. Because this is where things get exciting. We've been studying the seven churches, you know. And me personally, I've been excited. And I think that it's changed my life personally, the the seven letters. But this is where things really take off. Here in chapter 4 of the book of Revelation. Now, it is, the book of Revelation is the only book in the Bible that has what I call a heavenly outline. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, if you don't already have this underlined and highlighted in your Bible, you should do that now. Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, write the things which you have seen. Remember the heavenly outline. Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. This is the outline for the entire book. It's a three-section outline. The first section deals with chapter 1. 
John said, write the things which you have seen. What has John seen? In chapter 1, he has seen the resurrected, glorified Jesus. You remember, he gave us all the characteristics of Jesus Christ. There's a sword coming out of his mouth, and, 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 and he's the, the bright and morning star. He's the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is the, the life. He lives forevermore. He, John gave all of these characteristics of Jesus Christ. So chapter 1 is the things which John, which John has seen, the resurrected and the glorified Christ. Now, chapters 2 and 3 is, a, is your next section, and it deals with the things which presently are. Chapters 2 and 3, we have pictured for us, as we've looked at over the last several weeks, we have pictured for us the seven epics of church history in chronological order, beginning with the apostolic church, the church at Ephesus, and ending with the church of the Laodiceans, the apostate church. Seven epics of church history. Write the things which are. That's your second section. We completed that second section last week. And this morning, we begin, we embark on the third section of this book, the third and the final section of the book of Revelation, which deals with chapters 4, if you're taking notes, through chapter 22. These things, notice he says, which shall take place. Write the things which shall take place after this. After this. Now, the Greek word for after this, you want to write this down, is metatauta. M-E-T-A-T-A-U-T-A. After this, metatauta. And it means after this. It means the things that are going to happen after this. After what? After the church age, as we've talked about. After dealing with the churches, the church history, the church is now in heaven, which brings us to chapter 4 and chapter 5. The church is on a honeymoon in heaven, tucked away with Jesus. And meanwhile, back on the ranch, chapter 6 through 19, we have pictured for us the great tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble. It describes seven years, and it is seven literal years, of tribulation upon the earth. And at the end of the tribulation, chapter 19, we see Jesus coming back in the second coming. Takes us into chapter 20. And then in chapters 21 and 22, we have the new heaven. We have the new? I gave you all the answer. We have the new? And the new? Very good, and we all live happily ever after. Very good, you're all Bible scholars now. You understand the entire book. It's not that difficult. People say, oh, you don't want to teach the book of Revelation because it's difficult, man. Understanding end times prophecy, it's spooky. It's so spooky. Who can understand the book of Revelation? Oh, no, don't read it, they say, when in fact, the Bible says the opposite. If you read it, you will be blessed. That's what the Bible says. 
Now, man says, oh, don't read it, man. It's too scary. And who can understand it anyway? I mean, all the prophetic stuff is all allegorical. It's all, you know, who can understand it? Everyone can understand it. Why? Because it's in the Bible. Say amen. It's in the Bible. And if it's in the Bible, then the Holy Spirit meant for us to understand it. Thank you. It's not that hard. It's pretty simple. If you follow the chronological flow of the book, you will see there is a perfect pattern of church history, the rapture, the tribulation, the the millennium reign of Christ, the new heaven, the new earth, and then we all live with Jesus forever. So this morning, we begin the final section of this book. The church is off the scene, and we get a glimpse of heaven. So this morning, I want to read the entire chapter, chapter four, because I want to go to heaven. You know, people say go to other place. I say, let's go to heaven. We should start saying that as Christians. Ah, go to heaven. (laughs) So with that, be that as it may, let us go to heaven. Chapter four, begin in verse one. If you're there, say hearty amen. After these things, Metatelta, after this, after these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place, Metatelta. After this, immediately, quick, I was in the spirit. And behold, a throne set in heaven. Circle the word set in heaven. And one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardis stone or more. Specifically, a sardine stone, actually, is what it says. A sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings and thundering and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. We talked about that. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night. They keep singing over and over, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is, and is to come. You guys read that with me again. And they do not rest day or night saying, let me hear you, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, they fall down before him who 
sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, read this with me. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Now, you could title this chapter A Trip to Heaven because it is a trip to heaven. You could title this chapter, awesome chapter before us. Now, before we actually get into it this morning, give me your attention. Let me ask you two questions, two simple questions. Do you believe in heaven? And do you believe that you are going to heaven? Yes, of course, everybody does. In Time Magazine, I read an interesting survey that revealed 81% of Americans believe in a literal place called heaven, while only 63% believe in a literal place called hell. Of that 81% who believed in a literal place called heaven, 61% believed that they would end up in heaven when they died. 4% said they believed that death was the end of their existence and they didn't believe in any afterlife. 14% said they weren't sure. And only 1% of those surveyed said they believed they would end up in hell. Now that's interesting to me that 61% believed that they would end up in heaven and only 1% believed that they would end up in hell. Why is that interesting to me? Well, because the Bible says just the opposite. The Bible says there is a broad road that leads to destruction and there are many on that road. And there is another road that is narrow that leads to life. And the Bible says that few travel on that road. People are confused when it comes to heaven and hell. I heard a story of a school teacher in England who accepted a job over in Switzerland in a small community. She went to interview for the job and they accepted her. Well, as she was there, she went and she looked for an apartment to live in. When she found the apartment, she went back home to England to pack her bags and to prepare to move. And while being back home, she didn't remember seeing a bathroom in the apartment. Now, in England, and if you've been to Europe, you know they call the bathroom the water closet or the WC. So she wrote back to the head schoolmaster in Switzerland, and she asked if there was a WC in or near the apartment. Well, the schoolmaster didn't know what she meant, what the WC meant. So he went and he asked one of the ministers if they knew what the WC was, and they came to the conclusion that she must be talking about Wayside Church. So this was the response that the schoolmaster wrote to her. The WC is located nine miles from the house in the heart of a beautiful row of trees. It will seat 150 at one time. It is open on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. Some people bring their lunch and make a day of it. On Thursday, there's an organ accompaniment. The acoustics are very good. The slightest sound can be heard by everyone. It may interest you, he wrote, that my daughter met her husband at the WC. 
And then he said, my wife being quite delicate hasn't been able to go regularly. It's been about six months since she last went. Naturally, he said, it pains her not to be able to go more often. There's a bit of confusion. There are many things in life, listen, there are many things in life that we can be confused about. But where you are going to spend eternity is not one of them. Oh, you can't be confused about that. Now, chapter 4 and chapter 5 are the most intriguing, thrilling, inviting, worshipful chapters in all of the Bible. Notice in verse 1, John says, after these things, after what? After we've dealt with the church age, after these things, John sees a door standing open in heaven and he hears a voice like a trumpet saying, come up here and I will show you the things which must take place after this. Now, remember, after these things or after this is the Greek word metatauta, and it means the things that will take place here after it actually speaks of a radical change of environment. It's such a radical change. It's after this, John says, after this, I looked and I saw a door standing open. John sees a door standing open in heaven. Now, I like that because remember in chapter three, last week we left off with Jesus standing outside of the door of the church of Laodicea. And he's knocking on the door and he's saying, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anybody hears my voice and opens the door, Jesus says, I'll come in and I'll be with him. I'll fellowship with him and I'll dine with him. So we left Jesus at the door. The door, the door speaks of the door of your heart. And Jesus says, I will open the doors of heaven if you will open the door of your heart. Now, I want you to notice something here in our text. John says he saw a door open in heaven. He doesn't say he saw the door opening in heaven. Why? Because the door has been opened for 2,000 years. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door. And he said, if you want to get to heaven, you must come through me. And if you seek to go through any other door, you'll be like a thief and like a robber. So the door has been opened. The door speaks of the door that all believers come through when they get saved. The same door was open then is the same door that is open now. The same door that John saw is the same door that you can see this morning. If you've never given your heart and your life to Jesus Christ, guess what? That door is is still open. Jesus says, come to me. He says, now give you life. So the door is still open. John says, I saw the door open with my eyes and I heard a voice like a trumpet saying, come up here, come up here. Now, many believe that verse one of chapter four is a reference to the rapture of the church. Many people hold that position. Now, right out the gate, let me just say, 
the subject of the pre-tribulation rapture of the church is hot topic. It is controversial, baby. It's so controversial, people won't even talk about it from the pulpit. And they'll tell you, I challenge you. Matter of fact, I won't tell you who they are, but I was telling some pastor friends of mine that I was going to be teaching the book of Revelation on Sunday morning. They're like, what? You're going to do what? I said, I'm going to teach the book of Revelation on Sunday morning. What? You can't. It's too controversial, man. People have their differing opinions. Well, that's true. That is true. But it's in God's word. We teach verse by verse here. Right now, we happen to be in the book of Revelation. Amen. So this whole subject of the pre-tribulation rapture of the church, it is very controversial. Let me give you four different camps of people concerning the tribulation. There are basically four different camps of people concerning the tribulation. First of all, there are pre-tribulationists or pre-tribbers. These are people who believe that the church will be caught up in the rapture before the Antichrist comes and before the great tribulation begins. So before the great tribulation begins, before the Antichrist, pre-tribulationists or pre-tribbers believe that the church will be caught up or raptured prior to those events. And then we have those who call themselves mid tribulationist. These are those who believe that in the midst of the seven years of tribulation at the three and a half year mark, somewhere in there, a world leader comes on the scene called the Antichrist and he causes everyone to take the mark of the beast on his hand or his forehead. And if you don't take the mark, you won't be able to buy or sell. So the mid-tribbers believe that the rapture of the church will happen in the middle or the se- or you know the halfway point of the seven years of tribulation. At that point, the Antichrist is going to come and make everybody take the mark of the beast. Now, in the church, just as a side note, in the church, there were people years ago who, uh, a matter of fact, people that were not in the church, just people as a whole, they thought this whole idea of the 666 and taking the mark of the beast and all of you won't be able to buy or sell without the mark and all of this stuff was impossible, they said. Oh, come on, man, that's just too science fiction, they would say. That's just not going to be possible. How is that? Am I going to take a mark in their hand and going to be able to buy and sell and move about in the economy? How's that going to happen? And they would say, no, no way. It's not going to happen. Well, listen, listen, it is already happening. Even as we sit in this church today, it is already happening. I ran across this article in the, um, on, the inter- on the Internet, and it says this. This month sees the beginning of tests that some will herald as straight out of science fiction and others will attack as privacy invasion and a slippery slope down to a world where everybody has a microchip implanted. Florida-based Applied Digital Solutions will begin testing general packet from radio service-based human implants that allow for the tracking, monitoring, and identify verification of the subject. The digital angel technology is based around a digital transceiver powered by the kinetic energy in the body. 
A, vital, a variety of vital body functions such as heart rate, blood pressure can be monitored by the device as well as the location of the host with data being transmitted by satellite. Applied Digital Solutions also rec reckons that Digital Angel could be, it's called Digital Angel. Digital Angel could be used as a tamper-proof means of identification for enhanced e-business security. And the article goes on. Oh, come on, man, that's just impossible. Nobody, how can somebody get one little chip and it's going to track everybody and you can't buy or sell or anything like that? Come on, that's impossible. Yeah, they said that 20 years ago. They said that 15 years ago. But today it is a reality. Hey, if you've got OnStar in your car, they know where you're at. I know what you're doing. It's the truth, man. They can find you anywhere. Some people, I was talking to a friend. He says, I don't want to unstar my car. I don't want people knowing where I am. They can find you wherever you are. If you lock your keys out of your car, you can just call the OnStar people and they unlock your car right from where they're sitting. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.